Welcome to my not so secret diary. We can talk about almost anything. Serious, hilarious, and so much information. Welcome to my not so secret diary. Hello, Kimberly. Welcome to my not so secret diary. Thank you so, so much. I'm really honored to be a guest on your not-so-secret diary. Okay, so we are continuing on the Rape Facts versus Reality series, and today we are speaking on the media and reportage. And given the fact that you are a seasoned journalist and a broadcaster, you work with Nigeria Info, and um, you anchor the program Hard Facts. Yes, I do. I'm the host of Hard Facts on Nigeria Info FM. Fantastic. And I'm sure you receive a lot of hard facts and you get a lot of information when it concerns gen that concerns gender-based violence and other issues that focus on social development definitely in the country. So now we are focusing on rape. I need to ask, how has the reportage been in terms of the info information received and that data? that is passed to the general public. Well, thank you so much, Bluetooth, and I think this is a great topic. I love the fact that you're taking it in serious, looking at it from the legal angle and the polls and opinions of people, and now the media reportage of it. I would say when it comes to reportage, it's a work in progress. There's a lot of work that still needs to be done, but I would admit that some grounds have been covered already. And uh, back in the day, you know, people don't even talk about this because of the stigma tied to race and all of the beliefs that if you tell rape, reported, person's name is out in the news, be it old or young person, person is mad for life, you will not get married if it's a woman, you know, the scare tactic that has been employed over the years. But we see more and more people coming forward to talk about it. Even though uh, there have been reservations as to how it's being framed, the language being used in reporting rape over the years, in which, uh, thanks to capacity building for the media, the training, the right words are actually now being used by a lot of media tell the story of rape. You get to see a lot of rape stories in the news. You get to hear a lot of rape conversation on radio and TV. When we're talking about domestic and abuse, rape comes in the center of it all also. So there's an ongoing discourse. There's a lot more reports about it. And it opened our eyes to see that we do have a rape culture in Nigeria. It's a shame, but it's there. When you say so, rape culture, I, I, I need explanation on that. Can you, can you dive deep into that? The rape culture is in how people even process it, how people interpret this information that comes out. Let's the report and say uh, a young woman was raped. And then you get to see all kinds of multiple interpretations of it. how was she dressed. Was she working at night? Why did she go to his house? Why did she spend so much money on her before she now uses it? Or if it's a minor, you know, there's usually an outrage that greets minors when they're being, when they're being raped. But then you still get to hear some some level of blame game being to the parents did not do enough. Why were they not watching enough? So it seems as if the focus is on the victim and not on the perpetrators of the crime, the villain, the racist at the end of the day. So it helps to continue to protect in some way the rapist because our focus primarily is not on the rapist but on the victim. So the stories have always been told from a perspective that has advantage to the victims. I think that is changing. But the cultural aspect of it is how people even process all of this, what they say, how they react, how they treat it. I mean, I'm sure one, a guy called girls will be receiving bangles from men. You take juries from them, you take their money, and then you complain of rape at the end of the day. I'm not in support of rape. However, ladies should be careful what they collect from men. 
that is a culture of race. That hmm. is trying to justify race. So you are saying that generally people try to justify the the act of rape and the angle is always on blaming the victim without actually blaming the perpetrators except when it's in cases of minors. No, they blame the perpetrators. You know, half the time people don't understand when they say these things. They blame the perpetrator. Rape is wrong. I do not support rape. The, the rapist should be uh, executed. It should be castrated. Chemical castration is the best way to go. But then, they also find a way to blame the victim. That's a problem. Because you can't be blaming both ways. You can't say that someone who is a victim is at fault for being a victim. If you're going to blame, blame the guy who committed a crime or the woman, if it's a woman in this case. But it can't be a double barrel brain game. That's a problem. And I get to see that a lot when people try to interpret the information around rape. And it just might be how it's being reported. And that's why I agree with you bringing this aspect of media reportage of it. Because the language and the framing is what informs opinions about some of these things. So the way you hear this report being put out, too quick to interpret it and say, okay, well, I, I cannot see a fault in this woman. I cannot see a fault in this little child. Maybe the parents have what their child more or their children more. This will have happened. There's, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in how media stories are told from the victim's perspective, how we frame it, the kind of work that we do to help. I mean, for example, if you say a woman went to a man's house and she had a lot to drink that night, so it's already safe to say to look like this woman set herself up for it. Because she went out the night. She had too much. She had something to drink. He drank, she drank. Or maybe the story would have been told in a way like, was he drinking? She was drinking. Or did he lace her drink with something? I mean, there's, there's just a lot of ways in which you could tell the story that will paint a picture. I'm saying people don't, don't, can't find themselves in, in circumstances that can build up to it. But I'm saying that we should have people who would know that no means no. And if a woman is not giving you her consent, even if she is high on alcohol or has low spirit numbers, it's not one for you to take advantage of it. And it's not one for you to take advantage of a young woman who is working in the dark because she's all by herself. So it's not for the report and the story to say she was working alone at night, like, oh, you've set yourself up to be raped. So there's a lot of ways in which stories can be framed, not taking away from the real story, but the framing of it and the language used would help to tell the real story better, ensure that the perpetrator is the villain, not the victim. Okay, thank you for breaking this down in very simple terms. And given the fact that you are on a traditional media medium, which is yeah. radio, uh, you get a lot of insights, you get a lot of people sharing personal experiences and opinions. Has anyone ever shared a personal story or experience with you concerning either rape or harassment? And what were the challenges the person faced? Mm. Well, Bluetooth, I've had a few guests on my show who share their first-hand accounts as interviews of also who share their story. And one thing they have in common is the trauma that is tied to it. I mean, I followed uh, Dorothy Njemanze Foundation, a little girl who just didn't have a voice for herself. People were speaking for her. And it boiled down to adults around her, not even hearing her, but just getting her side of the story as to what happened because her identity needed to be protected because she was a minor or she's a minor. And, you know, there were adults who were helping to say, oh, uh, let's keep this hush-hush. Oh, the perpetrator is a relative, her father. She's not here of this, is a taboo. Oh, this is a family matter in, in, in between yourself. And then you're having a group 
saying, we're going to take this off. The girl needs to get justice at the end of the day. She can tell her story. But then if you're looking at adults, the few that I've had who were willing to share their story on my show, I mean, we've had people whose trust have been betrayed. Someone who I trust, someone who I visited, and then the person betrayed my trust by lacing my drink with some foreign stuff, and I and and she slept off, and that's how she was raped. And in the middle of it, she felt herself being violated and was you know, screaming, stop, stop, close her mouth on her. And after that, it took a while, according to her story, to determine if it was even safe enough to report her story. Because she was afraid that people would say, oh, but you went, you took your two legs to his house now. You were the one that went out with drink with him now. I mean, she was already thinking, but people know these guys. They know me. Now, why would you say you were raped? Both of you sort of kind of dating. I mean, it's a little comfort for her kids. So she didn't know what to do. Honestly, she said she did not report the case to the police because even for her, it was conflicting as to how am I even going to tell people I was raped. She ended the relationship. She was traumatized by it. And today she says, you know what, I, I, I always have trust issues. I, I, I never trust an open drink, not with a man, not with a woman either, because of what happened. And I have my reservation about relationship right now because of what happened. It even got so bad as to even affect her sex life, according to what she said. So that's one story. We've had people who say random stranger, you know, walking down the street on, on, on living off campus in one of the universities in Nigeria. And she was jumped by two guys and raped there. But that case was reported. It was followed up. But unfortunately, they never found, you know, the guy who raped her, even though it was not far from the university campus. But they just could not trail the men who did that. So she had to live with a horror for the rest of her life. Just might be someone who knows her, who she knows. It just might be absolute strangers at the end of the day. Huh. <laughs> MC Bluetooth. You didn't make my heart go. You didn't make my heart go. KDK. Sweet <laughs> <laughs> So, Kimberly, will you say that because of how rape cases are being handled, that is also leading to why rape victims are not coming out to report the cases? Well, there, there's a lot of gap in the handling, honestly, of those rape cases. And that's why I'm grateful that we have a lot of groups that are coming up and speaking up for victims of sexual violence and abuse in recent times. And that's why I'm grateful that we have centers to help with rehabilitation for traumatized victims at the end of the day. That is going a long way to assuage the fears of victims to knowing that, okay, or survivors of rape, to knowing that, all right, I can get some help, I can get some respite. People can my story. I don't feel like I did something wrong at the end of the day. So, yes, how it's reported, how it's handled, without people. And you know now we have the VAB Act, VAB Violence Against Persons Act. This is also something that has built the confidence of people to know that, all right, there has, there's a law in place for something like this. I can report it and I can get justice at the end of the day. Before now, the handling was very poor. I'm not saying it's the best right now because if you go to a police center, they tell you they have a gender debt. But follow up on how they are investigating rape cases, it will break your heart. Except it's a high-profile rape case, like the girl who was murdered in Benin. And, you know, we saw the police won't get into action. Intense investigation is ongoing. But it has even met a lot for now. It's not in the news. Nobody's following up on it. We don't know what the latest is. So all of this is also a part of the factor. We need to have uh, a gender death in the police force or a unit that will take things like this quite seriously 
cannot make the victim feel like, you know, there's no justice at the end of the day. So I quite agree with you, Bluetooth, how it handles the investigation of these cases will go a long way. Welcome to my not-so-secret diary. We can talk about almost anything serious, hilarious, and so much information. Welcome to my not-so-secret diary. We are talking with Kimberly Wachuku, who is a broker's journalist, and she works with Nigeria Info FM, and she is the anchor of Hard Facts. Um, Hard Facts is always on air from 3 p.m. down to 8 in the night, so you can get all informations you want on issues that are trending and are making major moves in the country, and the country we're talking about is Nigeria. Now, Kimberly, you, may, you made mention of the fact that the gender decks, in terms of having this in the police force, where victims can report. But I always have an issue anytime I see cases of rape, and the issue is the angle of the traditional society or where you hear that the rapist is to marry the victim. I think there are instances like that that have popped up over time. But how does the media balance the equation? Because just as you mentioned the VAP Act, I know that there is the Penal Code. Um, the VAP yeah. Act is the Violence Against Persons Prohibition Act. We have the Penal Code. We have the Child Rights Act which also addresses issues of gender-based violence and rape. But marrying all these laws that are in place with their unique formulations, and I'm, used, and I'm citing the penal code, for example, um, that is hinged on the Islamic law. And in Islam in Nigeria, there's still the debate of what is the age of consent. How does the media balance this out? Uh, we have a lot of these laws. We have the VAP, we have the Child Rights Act, and there's also that leeway in our constitution that concerted efforts were made some years back when we had the Child Not Bride. And they were saying, let's amend this aspect because if a young minor is beat up and given the status of an adult, that is, to some extent, it, it feels like because the person is a minor and the minor should not at any point uh, be entangled in a marriage, particularly when it's not even her consent at the end of the day. And I want to believe that get to a point where that aspect will be addressed. Now, the, the Muslims that have been viewed on this will tell you their religion does not permit for rape. It does permit for marriage. And people who are young apparently have been married up. And I know a lot of vocal people who are saying, yes, we can encourage people to at least wait for them to become adults, to be 18. You know that when you are talking on religious line, it's like treading on eggshells. So it has to be applied, some sort of wisdom needs to be applied in tackling it. That issue is a big one, is a major concern. More people are speaking and talking about it, trying to discourage child marriage in Nigeria in the different forms that they manifest. Because in some crimes, it is seen as an abuse of the child and it is seen as rape. You don't have a business marrying a minor. But in Nigeria, apparently, Islamic law kind of covers for that, which is acceptable by some people. But then if you observe, the culture itself is it's so proud right now with more people talking about it, that people are gradually, you know, the modern Nigerian people are gradually looking away from it. We are very, very vocal, like the former enemy of Kano, who has discouraged it. More people are coming out. So I want to believe that if this advocacy is consistent, it will just be discouraged at the end of the day. Now, you did mention something, Bluetooth, about 
marrying of the victim. I was holding myself not to chuckle because for me, I think that's the most posturous thing and outrageous thing to do to someone who has survived something like a trauma. That is 100% victimization of that individual. And it used to happen back in the day because people just did not know what to do. It was not being reported. So instead of the fear of, oh, this person has been and the flower, who we marry her, it might as well hand her over to the person who took, you know, who, who took advantage of her, if you want to use that modest language. And tell them, okay, knock them off. But that is leaving this person in perpetual agony for the rest of the time. And I'm glad that he's being discouraged now. People know better. And that's why the reportage, the telling of the story, will go a long way to at least build the confidence of someone who has gone through it to know that it's not the end of the road, it's not the end of your life. You don't have to be married to an abuser. There's no way someone will rape you and then get married to you and that you're not constantly being constantly being violated, beat physically in terms of physical violence also on that person. It just doesn't add up. It's not false and it's not natural. So even that itself is something that the more we talk about it, the more we discourage it. I think it's a buy-in. It's job is to help with public opinion, to shape ideas, to give people, you know, information that will help to approach some common sense. And and, and I, I think we're not there yet. It's a work in progress. Okay, so talking about a work in progress now, I know that the media is saddled with a lot of regulations in terms of the language used or the mode of communication. Uh, are there any challenges in that aspect? I understand that the NBC is the regulatory body for what is being broadcasted. But when it comes to issues of rape and gender-based violence, are there challenges in terms of regulation of the language being used or how the issues are being communicated? Well, in, in discussing rape, the whole idea is not to be graphic. The whole idea is not to just give all the at once in one of how it happened and give all of the graphic details. Uh, so far, doing this job for over a decade, and I have discussed, I don't think there's been a flag raised as to, okay, you shouldn't have told the story. If a flag is raised, is because maybe the victim or the, the survivor of rape is being victimized or certain words are used, uh, particularly when it's not you know, the word that shared time belts to, to have certain conversations. It, it will be difficult to get uh, the, the NBC to say, well, I know that they don't like to hear certain words, which is being seen as being uh, maybe not acceptable for radio if it's during the daytime. You know, apparently we live in a time and age where people don't want to hear words like vagina, like penis or penis on air. So... You would have to find a way to have the conversation without repeatedly using these words, particularly on broadcast uh, mediums where the NBC is the regulator. They don't want you to repeatedly use oh, things like oh, vagina or being too graphic or talk about the splash and all of that. Yeah, so that's still there. But I think if it's reported sensibly, it, it could still get the story out without all of the graphic details. So on your platform, which is Nigeria Info, how yes. do you marry stories that are put up on blogs? Because now that we, ha we are in the age of the social media, sometimes news breaks first on social media before we, we even see it on traditional mediums, mediums like the newspaper or even on TV. So how do you marry information that is passed across from social media, that that is being sent via newspapers, 
or on TV and then transmitted via radio? You know what? I have learned to be very careful with stories that I see on the blogs. If we're talking about social media like Twitter, Facebook, yes, you get to see real-time information come up. A lot of the recent big sensational stories that we've seen have come out of social media because people, we have citizen journalists, we have eyewitness reporters, we have people who are giving real-time information from their perspective, but they're not trained to report it in a way that the conventional media is thought to do that. And that's why some people will hear some of these things on social media, read them, see this video, but they will still want to come back to the conventional media to see, okay, let's get the real picture. Let's get all sides to the story. Let's get the real detail of it. Let's be sure that that's not fake news, that that's not being sensationalized on social media, because half the time that's what we get. But I think that the social media is a blessing on its own with helping with real-time information and helping to drive conversations in some sense. But, you know, with blogs, you get to hear a lot of what half stories, fake news. So it's safe to follow up and know for yourself. That's why journalists are trained. You can't just leave the story off of a blog and run with it. I mean, professionally, that is wrong. But to take it and to take from credible sources and to follow up, and you, you could see a story about rape on a blog and have a conversation about rape, but not take that particular one until you've established the fact that indeed that happened. Mm. So you, you could buy conversation, but if I see a rape, okay, say a girl was raped on campus in, in this one particular blog, if it's one blog telling the story, and you know, there are ways that some people lift story, copy and paste from one blog to the other. So you see it's replicated in so many blogs on so many handles. And at the end of the day, you find out that you can't even tell the real source where this information came out from. But it can also help to drive conversation and say, okay, well, these people are telling this story. We can talk about rape, but maybe not take that particular story until you've established that indeed there's some substance to that story that is being put out. So the idea is balancing the equation now and knowing when oh, yes. to investigate. Okay, so in investigating now, because um, Nigeria Info and mostly your program um, does a lot of investigative journalism, um, where you dig deep into the pressing questions or those questions that people are scared to ask. But in your line of work, have you been in a situation where you've had to interrogate, and I'm using the word interrogate, law enforcement as to the manner in which cases are handled? Or have you had to follow up a case now, um, with journalism, I'm talking about advocacy now. Mm. Well, the good thing is, Bluetooth, you can work with partners here. Yes, I've had to follow up a rape case. I've had to follow up a few cases uh, that are tied to physical violence and talk with the police, visit the station that is handling it. You get to get some sort of hostility with, okay, we're following up on it, or they'll give you the update as it were. But the good thing is, you always have a group that you can work with. FIDA, for example, Dorothy Germanic Foundation. You have a lot of groups that are about gender violence that are taking this up, that can invest time and money to give you the update and follow through down to the legal fee that is required if you have to get a court. That we have worked with, and I have continued to work with, uh, to ensure that we get to the root of the matter, to ensure that we get to speak with the right people that we need to talk with at the end of the day. So for me, it's been a lot of collaborative effort, particularly around gender-based violence, around issues of rape. It's been a lot of collaborative uh, efforts. Uh, yet I have worked with this team 
to follow up one or two stories to the very end of it. I worked with my colleagues also on this particular one. But honestly, the collaborative effort with different NGOs and different individuals who are interested in it has gone a long way to help. So it's not a hero moment to say I took on one case from start to finish on my own. I took on it with the support of people who are invested in these cases also. And we record more success that way. Okay. So talking about recording successes, of course, before you record successes, we have to talk about the challenges faced. Now, generally, yeah. what would you say is the major challenge in terms of the reportage of rape cases or even the response to these cases by the media? Uh, challenge is, one, people are still, well, some people are still shy of talking about these things. They're still worried. But then, the challenge is to know how to go around telling stories even if people don't want to. I mean, nobody wants to have camera on their face to say they've been raped or hear their voice all the time. But we, the, the challenge is knowing how to tell this story, humanizing this and getting the right response. There's still a lot of work to be done. I did talk about the thing. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. Uh, the language used. I see a lot of trained journalists who cover women issues, rape issues, and the likes. They, I, I think they're perfecting the right language to use uh, now with proper capacity training in this regard. But it's a different thing when you're seeing the story on social media or blogs. You know, they're not trained to tell it the way we're trained to do that. So there's still that uh, a lot of work that needs to be done in that regard. And looking at more, more challenge is also the follow-up of this with, with the police, with the investigative team. You know, it takes a long time for some of these cases uh, to for grab the time when the rape case was committed, if they went to the hospital, if the test was taken, if they got the required uh, treatment to prevent the pregnancy or sexually transmitted diseases or infection at the end of the day. There's still a lot of work even in telling those process of stories of what people need to do, where to get uh, the help for their trauma at the end of the day. But I think there are all surmountable challenges, and if you see how it's been told in recent times, we're surmounting them. We're really surmounting them. That means we are having headway, basically. Yeah. The next question I would like to ask now is, when it comes to engaging acts of legislation now, are there challenges with the media interpreting these acts of legislation? For example, marrying the fact that in different regions of the country, different acts of legislation have some sort of unique way of handling these issues, and in some certain quarters, it doesn't seem as if it is conforming to what is seen as international best practices. How does the media handle interpretation? Interpretation of the laws that we have around this? Yes. Well, well you, it's, I think we have a common problem in Nigeria with a lot of things. It, we have beautiful laws in terms of legislation. We have beautiful ones. Implementation is always a challenge at the end of the day. Uh, if you're looking at the Child Rights Act, not all states have domesticated it. We still have 11 states that are yet domesticated. And so you can recall to that if it's not being adopted and domesticated. If you're looking at the VAP Act, Violence Against Persons Prohibition Act, how many states have adopted and domesticated it? Well, you know that it is law in the FCC, but how many states have adopted it? Uh, during, uh, following the, uh, the outcry over the girl who was raped in Benin and then shortly who was raped and murdered, and then the several rape cases we have. Governors came out and said they have declared a state of emergency on rape. And then people asked them, what does it translate to? They said, okay, we're going to enforce states 
that are yet to adopt and domesticate this law to ensure that they do that so that they can protect women and children more in their state. But how many states are yet to do that? So as much as we pass on the federal level, we, we dance around it. But putting it into law in our various states where they apply is still a Herculean task to be done. And if you don't have them, I mean, if we have to spend years calling on states to do what they promised to do, to do something as simple as adopting and domesticating, it will take 10 years, 5 years, 3 years. So when do we even start to apply those laws in this area? So even in this aspect, the media has to continue to talk about this, to draw attention, to call out states that are yet to adopt and to domesticate it, to do the needful at the end of the day. When we talk about people not coming out, the culture of silence, I mean, you find in one area, maybe here in the FCT, some might be confident to come out and talk about it. But there's a culture of silence in a place where they don't have the laws, where there's still some hush-hush and taboo around it. And until we have those laws in place and people are properly educated about it and aware about it, and you have conversation constantly in the media of people who say, okay, this is my story, and I survived it, and I'm happy, and I have a family, I have children of my own. They did not deny me marriage or work or socializing with people. That is the only way to break that culture of silence and make people warm up to it and come out. So it needs to just work together with the laws, the application in the different states, and how the stories are being told. Yes, we still have a challenge with that. We have the laws, but how many states have adopted them enough for us to use them? You do talk about the opinion code. Those ones have all kinds of multiple interpretation, but when you have one concise provision to say, this is what is spelled out for this. It goes a long way to dealing with that problem even more. So I, I, I think the media also has a lot of work to continue to hammer working with groups because you need to also work with NGOs. You need to work with civil society organizations that this is their area that they are passionate about to continue to drive this until we get the law in place in line with it because they also have sort of training in how to investigate and manage this. We need the judiciary to take these cases also up so seriously in terms of the kind of legal representation that they have because the case can be fumbled if it's not properly uh, represented. And then the sum total of it is what is required to win this at the end of the day. Hmm. So the media is one arm of it. Okay. Thank you very much, Kimberly, for your insight on this. But don't forget, you are still listening to my Not-So-Secret Diary podcast. And you can be a part of the discussions by simply sending your messages and feedbacks to the email address mnssdpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at mnssdpodcast. You can also be a part of my Not-So-Secret Diary community by donating funds to keep the channel afloat. Details are in the description on each episode. Now, Kimberly, you've raised issues as to what is the way forward, what are the steps to be taken, how the judiciary, how the police, how the executive arm of government can actually put hands together and ensure that these issues are dealt with properly. Now, when it comes to the issue of advocacy now and seeking help or um, respite for people who have been raped, are they ways or are, are there organizations that can help with this and have you had contacts with such organizations oh yes uh there are some organizations that have come up uh i'm a flag partnership with the european union and a lot of groups that are setting up uh centers where people who are traumatized sexual based violence can get the kind of support that they need from from these centers 
for free. Like the way someone goes for a meeting, it's like you're in, under the influence of alcohol and the likes, and then you get that kind of support system. So, yes, we're having more of them come up in Nigeria. In different states, you get to see centers where awareness are being created around them and about them that people know that you can go there and talk and get the kind of uh, psychosocial support that you need to just continue with your life afterwards. It's a growing thing and uh, it's a good thing also. It's not in every single state and every corner, but it's something that we need to also help uh, to popularize so that people know that they can go somewhere and receive support. That's particular trauma. Okay. Now, um, Kimberly, in our discussion earlier on, you also mentioned the perceived culture of rape. And in my own words, I would like to say in Nigeria, based on the um, public perception poll that was carried out from NOI, uh, I tend to see it as a romanticizing of rape by some traditional institutions or cultural practices that we have. Um, because in the, in the poll, we had people say, oh, the, dress, the dressing of the individual um, under the influence of alcohol, some people even see some people set themselves up to be raped. But how can, how has the media been able to dissuade people from the notion of blaming the victim as opposed to blaming the perpetrator of the crime? Mm-hmm. Good time, I that there's still more work to be done in that regard. The media is doing it, but it's when you talk about learning, unlearning, uh, unlearning and relearning, there are things that, uh, People have been culturized to accept that we have seen and been wired to think, okay, this is it. It's how you dress. It's how you work. You have been a little too central. You were, you know, coming a little too strong. You were doing it. So it, it needs an unlearning and relearning of what the modern times approve. If it was happening in the 18th century, it's no longer acceptable in the 21st century. So there's a lot of work. And then it's a patriarchy that we have. We're still, you know, advocating for gender parity, not just in Nigeria, but around the world. It's the shift is happening, but it's happening slow. And with the shift, we get to see the shift change even with our culture. Culture itself is even translate. It's a change that would come because some, some years back, twins used to be killed. Everybody's praying for twins. I want to have twins today. But some years back, in some culture, it was seen as a taboo. So there are a lot of things that we say that our culture is our tradition to dress in a certain manner. But now we're accepting it that our culture and our tradition does not make people rapists or criminals. Actually, because someone is dressed in a dress that you think is not covering her ankle, that gives you ground for rape. Now people are getting to understand that children who are being raped, what do you say about that? Are they being provocative in their dressing? Is it their da- diapers <laughs> that is calling you strongly to come and rhythm water? I, I don't understand it, but there's, uh, it's, it's shifting, it's changing, and there's more work that is being done in the area of fact-finding. Even this story, some, some weeks back, or was it months back, the case of, was it a fake rape case, or was it trumped up or something? And it was alleged that he took his life. So more conversation around how we tell the story, how we hear all sides, how we fact-check. But most importantly, the person who is saying, I have been raped, will not be at any point victimized until we get to the bottom of it. We are going to take that story and give it 
the fairness that is required. But we'll proper, that, that's why investigation is important, to establish all of the facts. Because there's fear. I mean, some men are saying, all right, everybody's talking too much about rape. They're looking at it from one perspective. What if people are making it up? What if they're lying and accusing someone? What if it's a relationship that went sideways and then the next day, oh, you raped me because it's very sensational. Hmm. But we're looking at just a tiny fraction of that happening. 95% of it, I hate to throw figures where I cannot substantiate it. This is me speaking like a typical Nigeria. We just throw percentage out there. We have, more, <laughs> we have more rape cases by people who say, I have been raped. And indeed, if you get to the bottom of it and investigate, they have been raped. So, you know, some people want to throw this clog in and say, okay, what if it's based uh, for uh, false accusation at the end of the day? What, because of one false accusation, you now cancel out every other one coming in. So, you know, there's still work around that. Hmm. There's still a lot of work around that. But th this culture is changing, slow, but it will change. Because we're still going to put on it until people get to accept it and respect, understand that no means no, and get it. Okay, so talking about gender parity now and reportage now, we've had, we know that the polls say and state that more women have actually been raped as opposed to men, but that doesn't negate the fact that we still have cases of rape of men. Now, in terms of reportage, how has that come across? For rape of men? Yes. I remember some months back, I think, or two years or three years back, when a story came out of young boys who were being raped in IDP camps in the northeast part of Nigeria. That was talked about. Boys group and NGOs and the likes came out and said, okay, this is happening. We're not talking about it enough. And, you know, that, that brings us also takes us back to the cultural aspect where if a young boy loses his virginity to rape, it is seen as, okay, he's coming to manhood. It's not seen as rape, particularly if it's done by an adult. I mean, you get a lot of boys say, oh, uh, it's the help in the house. It's some random auntie. It's some older woman. Half the time. It is not told as rape. Half the time, the parents don't even take it up. They're like, all right, he's a boy. He might as well start early. But with a girl, then that is blown out of the waters. But even now, people are not paying attention to it. Knowing that we have boys who can get raped by men, boys who can get raped by women, so more and more people are talking about it. So then, it's either we're not getting enough coverage or it's not happening enough like it happens with the girls. As much as it gets attention, but the frequency of women and girls being raped is more, such that it feels like the boys' aspect is being downplayed. They are also victims of rape, but we have it more happening to the girl child and to girls and to women. But when we do have this report of the boys happening, it, it's important to tell that story also so that parents can pay attention, society can also pay attention and understand that if a boy is forced some older woman or older man forces himself or herself on this boy, the boy has been raped. Over time, we've never used rape for men or boys, but we're now using it today for boys and for men. So that is also something that is changing and that is shifting. Okay, so we are, we are seeing a paradigm shift in, in reportage, definitely. So Kimberly, I know we've spent a lot of time talking on these issues, but um, I would still like to ask, in terms of regulation of the media now and how these stories are being put out what is your take on the aspect of watershed hours or hours that things cannot be mentioned you mentioned the fact that sometimes the regulatory bodies will say oh don't mention certain parts of the body on air at some certain hours but these are parts of the body 
Now, going through primary, secondary school, we know that even when it comes to teaching in biology, our teachers don't come out saying the words as they are because of that quote-unquote cultural definition or a moral definition of parts of the body as unmentionables. So what, what is the way forward? Because in breaking, I, I believe in breaking the cycle, things need to be spelled out the way they are. Well, I quite agree with you. It would be so childish to go on there. You're talking about it when you're using PP and poo-poo and juju and that. I mean, it is what it is, you human part. Basic biology has its properly labeled. Uh, but, you know, there's always that thing like, oh, people walking in the afternoon, they don't want to hear repeatedly used use the word vagina. But it, it, it's bad. It's part of the human body. And at the end of the day, it needs to be mentioned. But in all of it, I, I think doing it responsibly is also the job of the media, honestly. It is not to turn people off. We, we, we're still conservative people, Bluetooth. We're people where, if you want to tell a story, and you think being very graphic about it, and repeatedly using you know, certain body parts just to drive home the message, the shock value of it might turn some people off. The idea is not to shock. It's to tell a story. It's to get people on the same page to understanding that we have a problem. Let's all find a solution to this problem. Let's address it. Let's have a common voice when it comes to this problem. It is not to shock. I, I've seen a few of them that are done to just elicit shock. We already have someone who is shocked by the trauma he or she went through. It is not for the general public to get that also. It's for the general public to understand the gravity of the problem. So as much as you say, okay, maybe the regulators don't want, in all of it, yes, they would send their warning and say, okay, uh, time of the day. If you're having a conversation around sex education, what's your target audience? If your target audience is to adults, because you, your sex education, if you're educating children, you even need to give them bite-sized information that is appropriate for their age. You can't get a five-year-old and try sex education with a five-year-old and go graphic or show the person pornography because you want to teach them sex education. It needs to be age-appropriate. So if children are the target, you can still have that conversation on TV, on radio, and I doubt anyone will flinch or anyone will become uncomfortable because it will be age-appropriate. Even your choice of language will be appropriate. And honestly, it is not as if you can't mention body parts. But, you know, there's a way you mention it so repeatedly, you become a bit more graphic, that might be a bit uncomfortable. So I think we also need to be reasonable in how we tell these stories and how we put them out there. Because we're still a conservative society. As much as we want to, do, to talk about these things, to draw attention to it, we will we, we, we'll get there eventually, but there are still things that need to be handled. Know your audience. The Nigerian audience needs to be told this in the manner that they can take it in also. So I think that's also something that we, we need to work on. Uh, the, the, the regulators want you to talk about these things. It's important to have this conversation. Even in the books, they'll say you need to take on issues that are burning issues in the news. Make out time for them. Sexual, domestic violence is one of those big issues. So the choice of language is important. My mother, she's listening to a radio show, and you're talking about rape, and you get too graphic. My mom does not, is not a regulator. She might get offended if you don't tell it right. Hmm. and lose the message itself. So telling it in the language is important in print or in broadcast. Hmm. 
I, I know that, I know that radio does not deal with um, print, and um, when I mean doesn't deal with print, what is said on radio isn't printed out graphically for people to have a picture uh, in in the pictorial sense of it. Storytellers, they can tell a story in a way that oh, you can see how it played out. It's a good thing to be a good storyteller, but we're saying make it PG. Uh, I mean, even even TV programs that you watch, they will give parental guide and they tell you not younger than 16, not older than 18. So apply that when you're on radio to understand that, all right, you have school children listening. This is an important issue. Parents are listening with their children. How do we ensure that we tell this story without making the parents and the kids uncomfortable? Okay. So we are looking at balancing the equation, basically. Yes. Okay. Thank you very, very much, Kimberly. It's it's really been a pleasure having you on my Not So Secret Diary talking about the media reportage when it comes to rape. We are talking about the fact versus the reality. And we are talking about the reality in Nigeria. And that is our major focus. Thank you for being on the show. It's really been a pleasure. I appreciate you, Bluetooth, and thank you. It's an honor being on your show. Welcome to my Not So Secret Diary. We can talk about almost anything Serious, hilarious There's so much information Welcome to my not so serious